With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Armchair GM Sports Network. This is Rod Mahood, your in-game voice of the Niagara Ice Dogs, and you're listening to the Dog Pound Podcast on the Armchair GM Sports Network, your podcast source for all game analysis, team interviews, and up-to-date news regarding the Niagara Ice Dogs. Welcome into another episode of the Dog Pound Podcast right here on the Armchair GM Sports Network, the official podcast of your Niagara Ice Dogs. This is your November 23rd, 2022 edition. Make sure you guys are, if you're watching the video version of the podcast this week, make sure you're hitting that like, smashing subscribe, and smashing that bell icon for all updates on video versions that get released on our YouTube channel, and hopefully you guys are liking us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us right now on demand. Go and give us some love over there. As well, make sure you're following us at Dog Pound Podcast on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram by searching the Armchair GM Sports Network. As always, I'm your host of the Dog Pound Podcast. My name is Brandon Caputo. You can follow me on Twitter at Caputo13 underscore AGM, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by a very special fill-in co-host making his return to the Dog Pound Podcast. You may have heard his segments on on our last few weeks with This Week in Ice Dogs History. I'm joined today by the radio voice of the Niagara Ice Dogs, Mr. Ted Lehman. Ted, thanks a lot for coming back on the podcast this week. Filling in for Kyle, who's uh, on the shelf for a week. And you can find me on Truth Social. No, just kidding. (laughs) Ted, I know there's some great stuff going on with the Ice Dogs radio broadcast, so quickly before we get into the show today, plug what you guys are got going on there at Country 89 and Giant FM. Well, the simple thing is that the games have been broadcast. And again, kudos to Michael Haber, who's the general manager of uh, Giant FM and Country 89. And now to John Pohl and everybody at NBC. They are the new owners of those two companies. John Pohl, the most massive hockey fan you've ever met. He coaches a U15 team out of the Ottawa Valley area. So he lives it in the... They have made it possible for the games to be back on, as I like to call it, terrestrial radio, because it'll be on Country 89, so you can still follow anywhere. My seven-year-old car still picks up my telephone, which means I can listen to any kinds of broadcasts from anywhere through my phone. But now you can do it just hitting Country 89, 89.1 FM. We're sharing a great audience in the area, and it's it's just going to be a lot of fun. That's fantastic. We'll talk about the upcoming games at the end of the episode today. But with Ted coming on the show, it actually worked out well because we've got this week in Ice Dogs history, as always, and we've also got another episode of What is on to Dobbler's Radar, but it's not going to be hosted by myself. It's going to be hosted by my co-host, uh, Ted Lehman, this this uh, this evening. So looking forward to having him uh, discuss with Aaron Dobbler kind of the what went into the uh, firing of head coach Daniel Fitzgerald, and the owner and general manager gives uh, some very honest opinions, Ted. That's the amazing part. You and I have had many a long drive and many a discussion about the broadcast industry and young people trying to break into it, and I've got a smirk on my face, because so many times I deal with young people and they have these grandiose dreams. They're going to get the gotcha answer from a player (laughs) or a coach. or It just doesn't happen. Many of them are too schooled, and they're going to give you the yearbook answer. But secondly, in a lot of cases, people are afraid of telling the media the truth. Enter Darren DeDobler. If you want a breath of fresh air, this man has come straight out and said, ask me a question anywhere, anytime. He answers them bluntly, and he answers them honestly, and you kind of stand back and go, Okay, uh, you know, when you get honesty, there's absolutely nothing you can do with it. You, you really, you can't kick the honest man. You can only hope that he succeeds. 
No, he, he, even speaking with him personally, he's answered every question, even if a question comes up that he says he can't answer. He says, you know, I can't answer it at this time, but I won't be afraid to dodge the question uh, when the time comes when they are able to talk about that, a.k.a. the uh, Memorial Cup. But on today's show, we'll also get into uh, our wrap-up on the week with new head coach Jeff Angelitis. Uh, first conversation with him on the show as well. But, Ted, I think uh, we might as well start off before we get into the games last week. Why don't we get into this week in Ice Dogs history? Well, it was uh, a busy day that gave us a busy week of Ice Dogs history. Welcome to another edition of This Week in Ice Dogs History. I'm Ted Lehman. Well, actually, this day in Ice Dogs history, November 24th, a very big day in the annals of uh, Ice Dogs lore. And it started in 2008 at the good old Jack as the Canada-Russia, then ADT series, came to St. Catharines, the best of the OHL against the traveling Russian squad in a six-game series that uh, got underway in the QMJHL at two sites before the OHL won 6-3 in Guelph. On this night, a packed Gatorade Garden City Arena complex saw some future greats, John Tavares, P.K. Subin, each get a goal. Taylor Hall chipped in with two assists, but the winner, this is the big one, in a 3-2 victory, came off the stick of future Ice Dogs captain, Ice Dog Sniper Andrew Agazino, the first ever number one Ice Dogs draft pick. He did it right here in St. Catharines, November 24th, 2008, this week in Ice Dogs history. Four years to the day later, one of the most iconic, incredible games ever in Ice Dogs history. A Saturday night, Sudbury at the Jack. When Anthony DeFruscia scored the only first period goal very late in the opening 20, it looked good, right? Wrong. War unanswered in the second period, coming in less than seven minutes. And at the 11-16 mark of period two, Wolves four, Ice Dogs one. A little more than four minutes into the third, 5-1 Sudbury. And when the Ice Dogs suffered, and I mean suffered, through a 5-on-3 advantage. Don't even remember if they got any dangerous shots a couple of minutes later and scoring nothing. You could forgive some in attendance for heading to the exits. It was a Saturday night after all, but boy, did they miss a show. Five and a half minutes left, trailing 5-1. The Wolves had one too many skaters on the ice. Stephen Shipley finally scored a power play goal. Less than a minute later, Mitch Theoret made it 5-3. Wolves bench tried to calm it down with a timeout, and it looked like it might work. But with the net empty, Dougie Hamilton made it a one-goal game with 28 seconds left. Marty Williamson kept that uh, gaping cage empty for almost two minutes. Now, this is one of those amazing, incredible decisions. Marty Williamson left the net empty on the ensuing faceoff. The six skaters got the puck into the Sudbury zone, but it knocked back out into the neutral area. The puck ended up on the stick of Ryan Strom with less than 10 seconds left. And I literally can vividly remember wanting to scream, shoot! Instead, the magic one, Ryan Strom, made a perfect no-look pass to his left, put it on a tee for Brett Ritchie, buries a one-timer from 20 feet away, ties the game at five apiece with seven seconds left. Then we head off to overtime. Ice Dogs end up with a power play, 17 seconds in, no winner. Then the shootout, where Brent Moran stopped both Wolves' attempts. Stromer scored on shot number two. Dougie Hamilton got the winner. After that, down 5-1, 5-26 left in the hockey game. The Ice Dogs end up winning it 6-5 in that shootout. One final history note, and please don't remind him, because he's an amazingly great guy. On the bench, assisting the Wolves on that night, as we take you back to November 24, 2012, future Ice Dogs head coach David Bell. Also on the 24th, we have one birthday to pass along. An original Ice Dog is celebrating number 34. He was a part of a championship squad, helping out with the coaching in St. John last year. Being a part of that Memorial Cup victory, the original Ice Dog superstar, their first world junior player, Stefan Legion. Happy 34th to him. All happened on the 24th. I'm Ted Lehman, and that is This Week in Ice Dogs History. Wow. Ted, can you recall that call? Like, <laughs> when they were down 5-1, 
Like, were you ready to just pack it in? You know, let's go to the next game. What was that moment like? And did you even have a voice left after that night? How, how, what was the adrenaline like calling that game? No voice at the end. Um, you can be forgiven for the fact that they stunk. It was 5-1. They were having a terrible night. Nothing was going their way. A 5-on-3 with that level of talent and nothing. It was just, it wasn't happening. This game was over. Thing, And you could see, it didn't happen very often at the old Jack that people said, no, you know, let's go out, you know, we got something better to do. But they walked out, and it was just how the comeback happened. And uh, I, I, I've been a part of a comeback like that. Actually, it was the same score in a minor hockey setting, same kind of situation, but two quick goals and unnerved the other team. And all of a sudden, Sudbury just got really, really tight, and they started to worry about it. But then, you know, it just kind of fell back. But the magic of Ryan Strom, and uh, I think I know where you're going, so I'll give you the story because it was the closest I came to an F shot because <laughs> as Strom walked in and I could watch the clock go 10, 9, 8, I'm thinking, shoot the puck. <laughs> he knew exactly where Brett Ritchie was going to be to put a one-timer as a right-handed shot near the left side boards to a guy streaking down the left side boards who's walking into one. It was, it was, it was an incredible play, and uh, years later, with help from Rod Mahood, he got in touch. He's remained uh, with friendships with Brett Ritchie and Ryan Strom, and they recounted what it was all about and how it came to be. One other moment, by the way, maybe before your time. Do you remember Gangnam Style? Yes. That's how Dougie Hamilton celebrated in the corner on the shootout winner. He celebrated <laughs> Gangnam style. He basically had his glove uh, into the belt of his pants, and he was doing a little dance in the corner as the Ice Dogs came back and won that one 6-5. Hey, you know what? I don't care what kind of celebration you do. If you come back from 5-1, you can do whatever you want, essentially, unlike what we saw in Ottawa with the uh, the Michigan goal, which we won't talk about. But no, no, no. We'll that, that's going a little too far, but it was just... How many fans do you think were left in the building? And the ones that were left probably will never forget that game. Well, the closest one to equaling that night was one years later, and I have to look up the year, when they were fighting for a playoff spot with Oshawa. Oshawa's in town, and the power went out, and the ice started to melt. And Oshawa was down by about a goal or two at best. It could have been 2-1, 3-1. You never saw a team get off the ice, try to get dressed out of the building so fast until David Branch slowed them down. And they took the nets away. The majority of the fans left. Suddenly, the Gatorade Garden City Arena Complex became the Hershey Center because there was nobody there. It was, it was attendance and almost family and friends that were left in the building. Like It was, it was, it was a, a shadow of itself. And weeks later, I said to the attendants, I said, why did you guys take the nets away? As soon as you did that... Everybody just took off, thought the game was over. And one of the attendants said to me, because they didn't have power, if you leave the nets in, you end up with that dove-shaped crest being borne right into the ice. It would have left an indelible mark in the ice, would have ruined both ends of the ice, so they had to take the nets away. And, and all it took was somebody coming to flip a switch, put the power back on, game was finished. And, and with that game, we're really digressing here with that game, one of the great quotes of all time, uh, working with Chuck LaFleur, of course, who does a great job in the morning on uh, Country 89 and Giant FM. Uh, we were on cell phones because we had no power, and our producer kept us on the air through the radio station we were working with. And I ran down with my cell phone, and I could see Denise Burke at the time. She was the team governor and co-owner. She was just getting off the phone, so trying to sound like I'm on 60 Minutes, uh, I went, Chuck, uh, I can see owner Denise Burke is getting off the phone, and, and we're going to see what you did. Denise, what do you know? She said, Ted, I owe absolutely nothing. And that, you know, and it was, it was a fun night for a guy <laughs> like me because I walked across the ice while the game was still officially going on, and I was talking to people on the ice, having chats with the referees, trying to find out if Oshawa found a rear door and got out in a hurry. And it, it, the jack was full of those kinds of stories, but... That, I mean, that is, for me, for Ice Dogs, that Sudbury Wolves game, I call it the comeback. It was the best comeback ever. Second best, of course, was the Mississauga comeback, fighting for another playoff spot years later. I'm sure we can go into that uh, for a whole episode, Ted. And It'll come back. We do want to talk about uh, that game with the, the ice melting. That was pretty interesting. We'll have you back on to talk about that. But lastly, just all that talent, Tavares, Subban, 
Taylor Hall, and then Agazino is the one that gets the game winner in that game. Well, and if you look at what was going on back then, you had national media here, so the entire wooden press box was jammed full. We weren't broadcasting the game at the time. They had extra media at one end of the jack. Uh, I don't know which one, the farthest one from the doors, and they were crammed in there. I mean, that place held, what, thirty-one twenty-five, whatever it was? There was more than that in there, but of course, officially, they called it thirty-one twenty-five. And the, the electricity in that building, and the interesting thing, you talk about voice with the jack, you had to have a different goal call than the jack, because between that pneumatic horn they used to blow off there and how quick, because the fans here are so intelligent and they get it. I've gone to other places where the puck goes in the net and it's almost got a Maple Leafs kind of, oh, did we score? Um, at the jack, they got it. I mean, and you had uh, you almost had to have a goal call. Score! You had to get it out there because nobody was going to hear you otherwise. Yeah, they were definitely following the play and it's uh, the passion of the Niagara fan base uh, has always been there, but it Great. wasn't a school day game. <laughs> yeah, we heard that this was last week. Uh, if you're listening to the Hamilton game, that was uh, high pitch for, yep. say the least. But great job for this week in Ice Dogs history with Ted Lehman, who's sitting with me today. Ted, I figure we might as well jump into the last week for the Niagara Ice Dogs. The two games at home against Saginaw and then in Guelph. Thoughts on the two games We'll we'll talk about it with Jeff Angelitas later, but two very winnable games. You think about the Saginaw game, they have a full two-minute five-on-three with a chance they don't get anything on that, and then the night after in Guelph, you have a lead going to the third period, and it all unravels. Start with the Saginaw game. This is a team that the Ice Dogs beat 7-2 in the second game of the season for the Ice Dogs. Third game of the season for the Ice Dogs, forgive me. Second game of the year for Saginaw. They were exhausted because they beat Guelph the night before uh, 10-6. So um, different kind of situation, and uh, kudos to Chris Lazary because early in the season, you're still in preseason. You're trying to put systems in place. point I wanted to make, Ice Dogs on this past weekend were in preseason. They were dealing in new systems. They were dealing in new direction. They were dealing in new line combinations. They were dealing in new defense pairings. They were doing that, of course, because the absence of uh, Rodwin Denisio and not having seen Andrew Wysick for most of this season. So they were dealing with that. And, and, and you talk about, in general, he's talking about Guelph. Started the broadcast on Friday simply saying, boy, if you're a disappointed Ice Dogs fan, I know one city that's more disappointed than you are, and that's Guelph, because they were the number four ranked team in the CHL in the preseason. Number four. And even their play-by-play voice, who's been there forever, Larry Malott, he confided in me, you know, they probably overrated this team. They overrated their depth. They overrated how good they were going to be and what they were going to be able to do. And the end result was, you know, but that's a very good team. And One of the things that struck me in both of those games, Jeff Angelitas learning his team, and he went with different line combinations. And when I asked him about it, he said, I want depth. I want to go with depth. But if you remember both of those games, Ice Dogs got beat basically by two line teams. You saw two lines for Guelph. You saw two lines for Saginaw. Is Jeff Angelitas going to have to do that going down the line? Maybe. Maybe that's what he's going to have to do. I'm not saying all four lines played the same, but you may have to see more and more Zito, Themis, Castle, those players going on on a regular basis. Speaking of top six players in that Saginaw game, Ted, if you look at the box score, you don't see Michael Misa or Pavel Minchikov anywhere on that box score. So the Ice Dogs did a good job of really isolating those two players. Different team without Josh Bloom, their captain, who was dealt to the North Bay Battalion, who we'll see coming up uh, this week for the Ice Dogs. Uh, It was traded from Saginaw, so a little bit different lineup uh, without their captain in there anymore. But still, you have Michael Misa, the granted exceptional status is what I'm looking for. And then Pavel Minchikov is obviously a first-round talent for the Anaheim Ducks. So When you're not going well, those are the things that happen. We saw Pavel Minchikov, we were there in Saginaw, and we went, what position does he play? He was able to navigate anywhere he wanted on the ice. He'd be impossible to cover, you thought, on a regular basis. Ice Dogs held him off the score sheet. Michael Misa, they bodied him off the score sheet in the first game. He may be coming back from under 17, 
he babies his ice time a little bit, and and it could be in his absence they've come up with different line combinations. So they did those two. They checked those two boxes. Still don't win. You look back to a week before. A 40% Ottawa power play. And when we get to Darren Dobler, you're going to hear what he has to say about that. But a 40% Ottawa power play goes one for six. And you still lose 7-2. So it's kind of like uh, the little Dutch boy. You're putting your finger in the hole in the dike here, and it springs a leak somewhere else. It's what happens when your team's in this kind of situation and not winning. Is You can accomplish different things. And look at Guelph. After they won that game... They won the next night as well. They knocked off the Kitchener Rangers coming in, who have been an enigma, by the way, in this 22-23 season. And do you think it's a, for Guelph losing their head coach, Scott Walker, before the season started, do you think that that might have played a factor into why they're so low in the standings right now, losing your leader and you know dealing with his medical issues at the moment? would have to have an effect on a team, and it would have to have an effect on a team mentally because as much as we talk about this being a league of drafting, it's also a league of recruiting. And if you're going to Guelph, I'm going to go play for Scott Walker. Scott Walker has won a Memorial Cup before or been in a Memorial Cup, and, you know, he's been with World Junior teams. This is great, and I get there. I don't have Scott Walker anymore. And, mm-hmm. and it's got to change the roles of everybody on the bench, and it's got to do a number on the whole team. A, a good team, they, they, they care about each other, and uh, that had to kind of slow them down. And for Guelph, they lost an overage defenseman, didn't get early goaltending. It'd still be their, maybe their Achilles heel. But so when you go into, an, and you know, I'm not criticizing your line, winnable game. They're all winnable games in this league. The question is... Um, is it truly a game you're supposed to win, or is it just a game that uh, you you know you, you should win or could win? Coming into that weekend, you saw both those teams that unloaded their best player. Josh Bloom is now gone. Uh, Sasha Pashajov is now gone from Guelph. You thought that maybe the Ice Dogs would be able to take advantage of that. But in saying that, with Guelph... Max Mesnikov comes in, back from Sarnia, and he ends up with a four-point night. Matt Poitras has a four-point night, prospect of the Boston Bruins. Player of the week. Player of the week. So it just seemed like they brought a new guy. They bought, took somebody out, brought a new guy in. He made an impact right away, and that was what it was for the Ice Dogs. Got the Barry Colts coming in this weekend. Over 500. More goals against than goals for, which is not unique this year in the Ontario Hockey League. So it's kind of a strange situation like that. I wonder... If there are teams out there looking at Dave Cameron and James Boyd's model for the Ottawa 67s, they got younger this year and got better. Yep. So uh, in some cases, is that what you're looking at? Because sometimes, you know, you can get a situation where an NHL-drafted player uh, ends up having more success at the next level than he here because he's not playing at the OHL level with people of his similar skill. And sometimes they can get bored. You know, uh, oh, this is a nice stopgap until I get to the, you know, the big money operation. You never know how it's going to react to a team with what's going on. I know nothing about Josh Bloom or, uh, you know, Brendan Othman or any of the players. Sasa Pastajov, I don't know anything about those players. I'm not making that kind of distinction, but I've seen it before in Ice Dogs history where there are some players who are more content about thinking what's happening next year than worried about what's happening this year. Right. Speaking of Ice Dogs players, Ted, Back in the lineup, Anthony Gustinelli this week scores in his return to the lineup and then gets an assist in Guelph, blocking shots, being a great penalty killer. Seems like Anthony Gustinelli is a player that, you know, can do it all for the Ice Dogs and maybe coming into this season with somebody that maybe you thought would be on the outside looking in as far as a roster spot, but he's proven that when he's in the lineup, he can do so many different things as a Swiss Army knife for this team. Didn't know what he was. Watched him all last year. Didn't know what he was. Was he a shot blocker? Was he a, a setup man? Was he a trigger man? Was he a, was he a blue paint kind of guy? Was he going to be a defensive? You didn't know what he was. You couldn't categorize what he was. So you kind of looked at him. And by the way, I think multiple coaches now have looked at him, and they didn't know. All he's given them is 110% every time. We know he's a character guy, and, and he's been giving this team everything he has. I don't know if his full role has been exploited yet because, again, I don't know if the team knows exactly what his full role is going to be. Positives take away from the weekend, Ted. Positives take away from the weekend. More structure in what the team is doing. 
uh, simpler kind of game with what's going on. We saw the intensity, especially in Saginaw, of how they attack the puck. Jeff Angelitis is preaching his play on the right side of the puck, play on the right side of the puck. Even the game winner against Saginaw, you know, right away, Jeff wanted to talk about the fact that uh, were we on the right side of the puck, and that goal to me was kind of bounced in the perfect situation, the perfect player in the perfect position. You can do everything right, still get scored on. Those were the uh, those were the advantages I saw, especially on Thursday. Jeff Angelides had he had discernible uh, characteristics he wanted from his team and hits and faceoffs and and different measurables, and he was checking boxes as he was going ahead and doing them. They had more of a challenge road faceoffs on Friday night, uh, and I think they had to chase the puck a little more as they went along. And you don't want to use this one, but you were a team that played 24 hours earlier, a very emotional game 24 hours earlier, and a one-goal game facing a team that was starting their weekend on Friday. The OHL schedule sometimes has a lot to do with how a team is going to perform and how the results come out. With that said, Ted, let's uh, jump into our week wrap-up with the new interim head coach of the Niagara Ice Dogs, Jeff Angelitas, and then we'll uh, come back and wrap it up. Joined now by the head coach of the Niagara Ice Dogs, Jeff Angelitas. Jeff, I know two losses for your first two games as head coach. I know it's not what you wanted, but can you see progress in the areas that uh, you really want the team to work on so far? Yeah, I certainly did last night. We, you know, we only had a couple practices together this week before uh, before playing Saginaw. I, I I was pleased with last night's game. Um, we played 50 minutes of solid hockey. Um, real good team in Saginaw, obviously. Give up a game winner in the third there, but. Uh, you know, tonight it looked like some old habits that I'd been watching on film um, the last week and a bit. Um, undisciplined penalties. You can't take penalties against any team in this league, and their power play picked our PK apart tonight, but just undisciplined, and it cost us. Can you take uh, some positives that, you know, both these games were very winnable? You had the two-minute five-on-three against Saginaw, and then tonight, you know, you're up 2 nothing with seven shots on goal before they even get a shot on net. So do you feel like these are four missed opportunities or four points that are missed opportunities here that uh, you easily could have came away with this weekend? I don't want to say easily come away with, but we without a doubt shot ourselves in the foot tonight. Uh, like you said, we're up 2 nothing. You know, set shots were 7 nothing at that point, and... You know, it's almost like you're too far ahead of yourself and you start doing things uh, outside of your toolbox. And, and, and I don't want to say guys getting selfish, but you know, when you start taking penalties like that and you start deviating from our script, that's the result. So it's a frustrating night without a doubt. Um, we thought we should have had their two points there. And whether we took our foot off the gas or not, I'll have to rewatch some clips, but it's it's frustrating when you do it to yourself with with undisciplined penalties. And when you come in, coach, um, are you trying to implement you know your your style of play right away? Do you kind of evaluate you know what's going on with the team, the the good, the bad, you know the the bad tendencies, the good the good habits? Like how how does that how do you kind of approach this coming in in the middle of the season and trying to you know put your stamp on this team, but also um, you know try to to get things going on the fly here because it's right in the middle of the season. Yeah, you know, you rely on the staff that's here too. We've had some good conversations. I've said it before. I, the offense is in that room. I mean, we scored four goals tonight. Coming in here on the road to score four goals, you should capture a point or two. Um, you know, I've said it again. I'm a I'm a defense first, stymie, stingy style of coach. Um, we've tried to implement that system. You know, we, we were heading in the right direction tonight, and we deviated from our, our path. We deviated from our script. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Like I said, you score four goals, you should be winning a hockey game here tonight. But we did it to ourselves without a doubt. Do you say anything about, you know, the shots on goal that you're giving up right now? Do you think that's just something that, you know, you're going to have to work at to, to really work on the defensive side of the game and get that structure, get those guys, you know, in the proper D zone, uh, playing a team defense, not just the defenseman, but all all as a, as a five-man unit there with the goaltender? Like, is there something that you really think that uh, that you're going to have to work on here to get the shots on goal down and, and make sure that uh, you guys are in their end more so than in your own end? Well, it's, it's team defense in all three zones. We can't let teams break out as easily as they did, right? And I thought for the first... 
10 minutes, we did a great job of it. I thought the last 10 minutes of the first period, you know, they they dominated us up, dominated us in the in in their offensive zone. We were running around chasing our tail in the D zone the last 10 minutes. We reset. I thought our second period was a little bit better, um, but uh, that's the key: is minimizing shots on net. And it starts, like I said, it starts at all three zones. You gotta, you, you can't let teams exit that quickly. You can't let them generate speed through the neutral zone, and then we have to deny entries. And it's we. I see glimpses of them absorbing what we're trying to instill in them, but again, uh, last night Saginaw we played 48 solid minutes slipped away tonight I, I think maybe 20 25 minutes we played a decent hockey and then you know third period going in the third period up three two you know those you know what we talked about uh, in the intermission going in the third was you know let's get one in the first five minutes and then just clog it up slow them down um, you know defend in layers and, and continue to get pucks behind their D and apply pressure and you know we came out and gave up two quick goals and you know, blink of an eye and you know, I, I think the onus on trying to get that one early in the third, um, we didn't, and we cheated. We turned pucks over, and it's in the back of our net. Missed assignments that we puck watched in the third period, um, and that's the result you're going to get. Doesn't matter who we're playing. Yeah. You know, when you puck watch like that, you turn pucks over. You don't manage the puck properly. It's it's going to bite you, and it it obviously got us tonight. So frustrating evening. Um, Staff will break down some footage. We'll have meetings with guys, show them their mistakes, continue to harp on a defensive posture, and we'll go from there. And last question. Uh, Dustin Ellie gets back in the lineup this week, gets a goal last night and gets an assist tonight. Can you talk about him being able to come back in the lineup after you know he's missed about 12 or so games and being able to make that impact? He's been here a long time. He's a veteran player, but being able to make contribute in his first weekend back. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, you know, I had some questions about Gus earlier in the day, and I, I don't know the young man. I'm just meeting him, and I don't really know much about him, but I was very impressed with him last night, and I thought he was an energy guy here tonight. You know, I maybe should have had him on the ice a little bit more in that third period. If, you know, I'm going to look back and watch that third, but um, he's he's caught me off guard, to be honest with you. I'm, I've been very impressed with him, and he's going to... He's going to force his way up the lineup here. He's he, he was a bright spot yesterday, and I thought he was solid today. The head coach of the Niagara Ice, Doug Jeff Angelitas. Thanks so much for doing this, and we'll talk next week. Thanks for having me. Ted, very well spoken from the new head coach, Jeff Angelitas. I know you've spoken to him as well for your uh, pregame shows on Country and, and Giant FM. Takeaways from More what he said. More than that. More than that. I got a chance to do um, a Jeff Angelitas interview uh, mm-hmm. last Thursday night. And what strikes a guy like me right away when you find out he had a collegiate career in the U.S. underway and his own mother got seriously ill, he gave it up and came back to be with her. It speaks to character. You just had him tell you about things he thinks he could have done better. Again, we, we talked about Darren Dobler at the beginning of this. We're, we're blessed with one thing here. We're dealing with a couple of individuals that aren't sugarcoating it. They're not painting a picture of, oh, you know, breaks or cost. No, they're telling you straight out that this is what's going on. It's not perfect, but we're going to try to make it perfect. The hockey cliches, like we might get in other markets, or you got to respect that at least and then know that you're getting it straight from these guys. Very good thoughts from Jeff Angelitas, Ted. Before we get to break, though, you know, shot themselves in the foot. They're up 2 nothing. Shots were 7 nothing for the Ice Dogs. You're thinking, wow, this is going to be great. And, you know, he says that they've got the offense in that room, but he wants to play a defensive style first. He knows the offense will come, but he says that uh, the old habits kind of seep back in. That's going to take some time. Well, that's not a disconnect with his general manager because when Jared Keane came over and Matt Pappas left, I asked the question of Darren DeDobler, are you a defense-first guy? Is it offense sells tickets, defense wins championships? He had a great line. He simply said, he said, uh, Ted, if you can't get the offense, the puck, you're not going to have offense. So it's got to come from the back end in that five-man unit. But you've heard him say it. Dale Howardchuk was incredibly successful as a coach what, with what we call cheating. As soon as the D touched the puck, guys were busting out of the zone trying to get transition going. 
Uh, Marty Williamson, I smile about it. I asked him if he was going to continue that when he took over for Dale Howardchuk, and he said, well, no, probably not. Then the first game, you had guys flying out of their zone getting pucks. So that's his style of play. Jeff Angelitis right now looks at this team and says he can't subscribe to that. Maybe one day they will, but right now it, the basics are take care of your own end, then turn the puck the other way. And praise for Anthony Gussinelli, as we mentioned earlier, just being able to have him contribute and not really knowing what, what kind of uh, role he was going to play, but said he could have played him more. We're going to have to wait and see what happens. I don't think he's done with line combinations. I really don't uh, because, you know, um, and I don't think they're done moving some people potentially because I think if you're not going to play, I think we're now at the point where you're going to play a certain system, and if you don't play a certain system, you're not going to play. No, and uh, it's <laughs> we haven't seen a full lineup yet. No. That's the other thing. No, no, haven't seen it yet. And uh, hopefully starting December 2nd, Santa's early gift is going to be a consistent lineup. I mean, it was exciting to have four lines to play in the two games this past weekend. Sure was. But let's take a quick break on the show today. And we're going to come back and we're going to get Ted's conversation on the next installment of What's on the Dobbler's Radar and preview the upcoming games for the Ice Dogs this weekend. Stay right here. We'll be right back on the Dog Pound Podcast, the official podcast of your Niagara Ice Dogs. Experience a new way to play daily fantasy sports and esports on Thrive Fantasy. Thrive's game concept revolves around player props, which are simple over-unders on player stats. There are contests for traditional sports including the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, and Cricket, as well as esports titles including CSGO, Dota 2, League of Legends, and more coming soon. Here's how to play. Choose your lineup of over-unders for top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Each prop has a fantasy point total based on how likely it is to hit. The more points the selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points and win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has awarded over $2 million in cash, so come and prop up today. You're listening to the Armchair GM Sports Network, the Niagara region's best local source for North American sports podcasting coverage. By sports fans, for sports fans. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to segment two of today's Dog Pound Podcast. Right here on the Armchair GM Sports Network, Brandon Caputo, alongside the voice of the Niagara Ice Dogs on Country 89 and Giant FM, Ted Lehman. Guys, if you're enjoying the audio podcast, make sure you're subscribing and hitting like on whatever platform you're listening to us right now. Give us some love on demand and on YouTube on the video version of the podcast. Hit that subscribe button for and to stay up to date with all of our content, hit that bell icon. Ted Talked in the first segment about what was going on with the Ice Dogs last week. And we kind of talked about it a little bit, teased it. Darren DeDobler makes the change from Daniel Fitzgerald to Jeff Angelitis in an interim role right now. But there are still some questions that I'm sure we'll get into soon here. Well, uh, let, let's do a little history, uh, quick history on this one. Uh, Darren DeDobler got to me last uh, Tuesday because we had started to arrange an interview with Darren and Michelle DeDobler, the majority owners of your Niagara Ice Dogs, to talk about our very first game on Country 89. Well, Darren got back to me on Tuesday and said, when do you want to do that interview with Michelle and I? And I had to send him an email back and go, Darren, more than happy to do that interview, and I'm looking forward to it, but if we don't talk about what's gone on with the change from Daniel Fitzgerald to Jeff Angelitis, you'll never hear the end of it from uh, the Living in Mom's Basement fan base. So <laughs> he said, well, let's do both. And that's how this came to be, that we began the first broadcast, because it, it is the elephant in the room about the change and, and the move to bring in now the interim head coach of the Ice Dogs, Jeff Angelitis. Let's get into it. I'm really excited to hear this. The next installment of What is on the Dobbler's Radar. What is on the Dobbler's Radar? 
He's the owner, he's the general manager, and he's our guest in what had to be a most difficult week in the, the first quarter season of uh, his Ice Dogs history. Darren DeDobler is uh, with us. Darren, you're always there to answer questions. I've appreciated it from word one, and I appreciate you for doing this tonight. Thanks, Ted. First of all, I appreciate you having me me here. Um, it was very difficult. It was a very difficult decision, and, and um, you know, I know Daniel will be coaching in the OHL one day. He's a great coach. Um, I probably thrust him into the position a little too early. Um, in hindsight, it's easy to live your life backwards. He probably should have been an assistant to begin with. Um, but he's, he, he's a great coach. He, we just weren't having, you know, the results that we thought we should have with the roster we have. And we had to make a very difficult decision. And uh, I think it's what's right for the team and it's, it's right for the community. And, and it was very difficult because he is the most highest character class act person I've ever met. He is the guy that you want to marry your sister, or your daughter. Um, and, and no, it was, it was real hard, hard. But when you put yourself in a position of authority, like I have, you have to make hard decisions. So Jeff Angelitas comes in and interim head coach. Is he now in a position where He's working to become the permanent coach. Is he uh, keeping the seat warm and, and moving the team forward in a, in a direction that you're all on the same page with? How do you describe what Jeff Angelides' role is right now with this team? So Jeff is the interim head coach right now. So um, obviously he wants to be named the head coach, but I'm not going to jump into this uh, too quickly. And I told him that. I said, um, you were hired as an assistant coach. Um, and you're going to take over the interim head coach right now, and we're going to make a decision. We've received probably, Ted, 25 text, emails, resumes since the announcement came out. Um, we're going to take our time to make sure we have the right person, and that right person might be Jeff. Darren DeDobler is with us. Uh, Darren, i got to tell you that uh, because we were doing some testing, I think I was watching his first practice. What struck me right away is he is directly, directly making the players accountable. He is, what I saw in practice in 10 minutes time, things aren't going the way we want them to because of this. Is that one of the skill sets that, that you prize as he comes into this job? That, that was the biggest thing. And, and Dan is, again, I can't emphasize enough what, what type of a human being he is. Um, and that was his downfall. His downfall was he was too nice. Um, you know, if we took a bad penalty, he didn't discipline um, because it's not in his DNA. You know, he just expects people to act the way he acts. So, you know, he was too nice to a fault. He was loyal to a fault. He was too nice. So unfortunately, and I don't want a coach that kicks over garbage can, cans and breaks sticks. That's the 1970s coach. I don't want that. But there has to be a fear, respect type of, of atmosphere. They, they are young kids, right? They're 18, 19, 20-year-olds. They're young kids. So there has to be some sort of consequences for your actions. And Jeff brings that. And I've witnessed Jeff bringing that with my other teams. So. Um, Dan, Daniel's an outstanding hockey guy, but that's where he needs to, to work on. He needs to be a little more, you know, in the discipline department. Darren, that being said, your leadership group, your players, have you passed the message along or is it being passed along that they need to be accountable for how the season's begun? Wes and I spent an hour and a half yesterday with the players in a locked room. And basically, Ted, I said to them, we went to Ottawa. They have a 40% power play, which is unheard of in hockey, 40% on the power play. And we took five offensive zone penalties. Is that Daniel's fault? So we let them have it, too. We let them have it, too. Um, they took accountability. And they, 
A couple of them even said it isn't Dan's fault. They said, we understood you had to send a message. And I said, I wasn't sending a message. I don't send messages. I don't go on Twitter. I don't go on Facebook. I do not send messages. I did it because I think we need a stronger coach, and that's what's right for Niagara and the organization. Darren, it's ironic. You know, it's 17 games. One quarter of the season is is the – Going forward, is it going to be looking at each quarter and how well you're doing at that time? That's a great idea. Uh, I haven't broken it down like that. Uh, I I looked at it as there's 51 games left. There's 102 points left on the table. So we can go from where we are now to a top team very easily. Uh, There's a lot of time left. I'm going to ask you one last goofy question. This is a playoff team? 100%. 100%. I look through my team right now. I look through my dressing room, and and I just continue to write my depth chart out, and this is definitely a playoff team. And and I'd be shocked if we didn't get in the playoffs. I really would be. Darren DeDobler, you're the uh, general manager, you're the owner, and you're the guy that went through a tough week and – I got to close it out. Uh, again, I appreciate your time and always your honesty. Thanks for being here. Ted, you've been great to us. Thank you very much for your support. Another episode of What is on the Dobbler's Radar with the owner and general manager of the Niagara Ice Dogs, Darren DeDobler. Ted, a lot of good stuff to dissect what Darren said. What were your takeaways from it? He was blunt. He was absolutely blunt. And I, I should correct myself. We talked, you don't get honesty in sports. Sometimes you get it, and it's usually when somebody else is pointing the finger at somebody else, and they're sitting there and saying, it's not me, it's him. It's, it's that guy, it's this guy, it's this guy. He told you straight out that in his own opinion, he made a mistake, and he corrected the mistake and, and did it very quickly. Naysayers will go out there and go, oh, you know, this is, you know, just, you know, a knee jerk. No, no, it wasn't. He believed he had the right man. As soon as he discovered in his mind he didn't, he still thought he had a great person, didn't know if he had the right man for the job. He moved and he made the change and and he moved forward. There's a lot of honesty in there. I mean, you know, talking about what the team went through, the struggles in the Eastern Ontario trip and, 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 the fact that the players were sat down and, and got a good old-fashioned dad talking to, I would almost uh, characterize it. And first-time GM, first-time head coach at this level, you couldn't go into this thinking there weren't going to be mistakes and trials and tribulations with this season. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's one of the things I've said all the way along is that uh, Marty Williamson comes in here on Friday. He had won a championship, Canadian championship at another level, but he never coached at the OHL level. At one time, Marty Williamson teams, you and I talked about it, there used to be an over-under on icings in the third period if he had a one nothing lead. Marty doesn't play that way anymore. Um, he's got a different style. You, you accumulate knowledge. You're not born with it. You have to you know, be able to... You know, look at people that you respect and pick things up, situations. You have to fail before you succeed. And, uh, you know, it's it's a path that, that is going to get you success. Is it Jeff Angelitas? Is it somebody else? Time will tell. 98 points left. And, you know, the armchair GM's out there, pun intended for the name of this network, but we'll say, why didn't he hire a hockey guy? Well, guess what? He hired Rick, Rick Wamsley, who I'm sure has had some influence in the last couple of weeks with overseeing what has been going on with the team, with his experience in the NHL as a player and as a coach and executive. He's paying dividends at the moment. Well, basically, you're going to get into a situation where no matter who you hire, I mean, uh, every time there was an opening here in St. Catharines, there was a clamor for what? Ted Nolan. Ted Nolan. Let's get Ted Nolan. Let's get Ted Nolan. It's like that in Saberland, too, but yeah. we won't get into that. I know, but it happened constantly all the time. And, you know, it, it was uh, it was it was funny almost at different times. You know, like, why not Scotty Bowman? Let's, let's go all the way. Let's, you know, kind of get it going that way. Is Mike Keenan available? You know, and it, it's such an interesting situation because you've got different styles. I had a really great in-depth interview this time last year 
Ottawa was in, talked to James Boyd. Half of it was about the Ottawa 67s, half was about Team Canada. He sensed where I was going. I'm not a giant fan of Dave Cameron, and you only have an hour, so I can't get into it. But the man has been successful. And, and one of the things is that he was sensing I was talking to him about volume and screaming. James Boyd made a really great point. He said, unless you're a psychopath, if you're getting in a player's face and you're yelling at him about something he's doing wrong, there's only one reason, because you believe he can do it right. There is some wisdom to be said for that in terms of what's going on. Um, I watched Daniel do discipline. I was impressed with how he had discipline. I will make one simple point. Did Daniel Fitzgerald treat the ice dogs like men? You were on trips as well. I think he did. The question is, were they men? So maybe the the mistake that was made at that point in time was almost giving too much respect to players who hadn't earned it by having enough years on earth. Right. And again, they're still young developing minds, Ted, at this level. This is not the National Hockey League, and I think that's what some people get lost in sometimes, that this is junior hockey. It's a developmental league to get them in a position where they could possibly be professional hockey players, whether that be in the NHL, the AHL, the ECHL, college hockey, uh, college hockey here in Canada. These guys will go on to many different paths in life, but the lessons that they learn here in the Ontario Hockey League and in junior hockey, they'll take with them not only for their hockey career, but their life as, as men. Well, there, there is one simple philosophy, and again, we've had this discussion before, so you know my viewpoint, that it comes down to the electronic world we live in, better known as cell phones. And there have been philosophies right here in Niagara saying, you can't take a cell phone away from a player. They can't be away from their cell phone for a couple of hours a day. No, no, they live with these things. There's a get-off-your-front-lawn guy standing here right now, me, saying, yeah, I can ask them to get off the cell phone for two hours. I'm spending thousands on coaches, on facilities, on training, on equipment. I should be able to demand to them that for two hours, you're going to forget about the cell phone. But there are people who are going to sit there right now in this league, very successful people, who are going to tell you I'm absolutely wrong. That's fine. Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. <laughs> so, uh, but that, to me, is part of the maturation process that goes on. And we've seen too many incidences where uh, social media has uh, gotten some players in this league in some pretty hot water. It sure has. But I, I liked how honest he was about Daniel Fitzgerald, talking about the highest character guy he's ever known, but he was too nice at a fault. Doesn't want a coach that's kicking garbage cans, but there needs to be consequences for actions. And... The players even owned up to that, saying, you know, they took accountability. And Darren DeDobler just said he needed a harder voice. Like you mentioned earlier, Daniel Fitzgerald expected more out of these young men, and maybe they weren't ready for that. I watched, as I said, and I didn't get into detail, uh, 10 minutes. We were almost doing a rehearsal, getting ready for our first night on Country 89. And I watched him do an offensive drill, blow the whistle, and everybody had to stop where they were. And he went in and very very directly, and he <laughs> apologized to me when I first met him, when I pointed it out. He said, was there language? And I went, yeah. Uh, and he was making a point because he was asking for something, he didn't get it. And he pointed out how three players were in the total wrong positions, and he called it beach blanket hockey because you could throw a blanket over them and cover them all. And he said, this is what we're seeing on video. We can't get this. So to a point we haven't talked about yet, the power play, the penalty kill. In those two games, probably both of those situations are not where they want to be. And going into Friday, coming off a 3-2 loss, Jeff's first thing was, um, oh, wish I had the power play going. And we know the power play for the Ice Dogs was succeeding at a pretty good clip early in the season. But it wasn't systems. It was the quality of Zito and Femus and Castle. And, you know, it'd be, you know, a me show going Sirizotti. It was more talent than system. We have seen, we went to Ottawa, and even though it didn't succeed, we saw a machine of a power play. Cross-seam passes. They could open areas up. They could make you do what they wanted you to do. And I've talked many times about the 2012 Ice Dogs penalty kill that would line up four guys on the blue line 
and dare you to go where they wanted you to go and somehow managed to get three guys on the puck and they could never get the puck to all the other guys that were open. They would make you do what they wanted you to do. Those are systems. You're not putting those in place on a Tuesday to be ready to play by Thursday. It's not happening. There, there's no way. That's going to take a little bit of time for those kind of systems. Let's hope the time is whatever time from the end of the Guelph game until the Friday night gaming gets buried. Yeah, we'll see how Jeff Angelitas puts his stamp on the team moving forward here in the next couple of weeks. Um, 25 text emails and resumes, but Darren is sticking with Jeff for the time being, giving him that opportunity to really show uh, what he can bring to this uh, head coaching staff, uh, head coaching position and the staff here for the Niagara Ice Dogs. And we'll kind of see how that moves goes moving forward. He's, o- he's 0-2 right now, but two strong efforts and could have pulled off four points. So before we wrap up today, Ted, let's talk about the games upcoming for the Niagara Ice Dogs, Friday and Saturday, two home games here at the Meridian Center. They got Barry on Friday and North Bay on Saturday, two divisional opponents who the Ice Dogs are very familiar with, Marty Williamson coming back to Niagara, obviously. What are you expecting to see from the Ice Dogs? And if they come away with zero out of four points again, is there an area for concern, or are you more so interested to see how this team plays under the Jeff Angelitis leadership? I have to see his system before I worry about it. And we saw glimpses of it, and he told you. We got 48 minutes of it against the Saginaw Spirit. Uh, If we get that, the kind of back pressure, playing on the right side of the puck, you know, moving the puck, some some character moves that we got in that Saginaw game, goaltending that they got, uh, you're fine. Two tough games coming up this week, and Barry's so interesting because they're a few points over the 500 mark and under 500 when it comes to goals for and against. They still have Brant Clark listed on their roster. Uh, if they got him back, that might change everything. It, it's an interesting lineup. I peeked at it today. One of my favorite young players, Hunter Haight. And nobody likes this stat because nobody seems to like it anymore. It's all about different analytics. But he's a minus 11. And that kind of shocked me when I looked at it because I saw him last year and I didn't think he was a player that was going to be on the ice for 11 more goals against than his team scored at even strength. It didn't seem like it was going to be that kind of team. You're looking at a North Bay team that's now Josh Bloom tells me they're loading up. They're going for it. Um, They're going to uh, try and make a run this time around. So it looks like uh, they want to be the ones challenging for uh, this division. They got a sniff of the CHL top 10, and I think they want to see how far they can go. They're a goalie factory. Dom DeVincensis just gives them everything they want. And going back to Stan Butler days, they are a defense factory. So, again, their system is based on that. The North Bay Battalion, much like the Brampton Battalion, always seem to be a one-line team. Let's see what happens after that. I think they're looking for more depth up front. So, uh, two wins, two losses, one and one. Is it going to tell us a whole heck of a lot? I started this by saying the Ice Dogs are in preseason and everybody else is 20 games into the regular season. So it's going to be how fast can these players absorb, or maybe even more importantly, how fast can these players believe in the systems that are being put in place? They lost to Barry earlier in the year, and then they got blown out by North Bay a few weeks ago. Do you think that that familiarity, that they've played them once now, they kind of know where they're at, North Bay might be a little bit of a different team with adding Josh Bloom. Do you think that the Ice Dogs might, you know, know how to play these teams now that they've seen them once on the road, now they're back home. Do you see any sort of advantage or anything that they can really sink their teeth into to say that they really have a chance to win these two games? One of the interesting things from my vantage point, and I say quite often, especially with the um, living in mom's basement crowd, is that I'm not in the room. They're not in the room either. But sometimes I get kind of maybe in the hallway and I remember sitting through, and I can't use it on the air because it's, it's information I glean um, in private. Uh, I got to go through the pre-scout before the Barry game, which was played at the Sadlin Center. And uh, I can only tell you that the team did nothing that was asked of them based on the pre-scout. Okay, the Barry culture described as being very physical, wanting to go to the net and dominate down low, and they had to play on the right side of the puck, and they couldn't do everything that basically 
Barry was able to impose their game on the Ice Dogs as opposed to the other way around. Can it be different this time around? I mean, the interesting thing Jeff Angelitis has going for him, none of the other coaches have any of his history. So, again, you, your hope is that they go out there against Barry and play the way they're expected to play and and catch the Colts off guard and then be able to make adjustments uh, after a period of play just to kind of keep the, the line moving. And as far as North Bay is concerned, let's face it, it's a CHL top 10 team. And as much as Darren Dadalber will tell you, he believes in the roster, believes in the lineup, he's got every reason to do that. It's not a CHL top 10 team, so they will be... Uh, an underdog going into that one. Now, Saturday night, flying teddy bears. So you could have some, you know, a little extra uh, in the pack for the players wanting to be the one that scores that goal. You want your trivia question for the night? Only one Ice Dogs player in its history has scored two teddy bear goals. Who? And he wore the C for this team and was not known as a sniper. How's that for a good one for you tonight? Yeah, give it to me. Yeah. He had a relative on the team at one point in time. Freddie Hamilton. No, they traded him to Hamilton. Johnny Corneal. Ah, okay. Johnny Johnny Hockey. Johnny Hockey. He did it in back-to-back seasons. Naturally, he scored teddy bear goals two years in a row. And accidentally um, said something live on a broadcast he shouldn't have on the ice when he was congratulated for the teddy bear goal. But he was just a great character, young man. He's the guy you wish nothing but the best for. And I always love to see the Panofemus versus Ty Nelson matchup. 1-2 in the draft, former teammates for the Toronto Junior Canadians. Ted, how many points do you think the Ice Dogs come away with this week? How many points do I think the Ice Dogs will come away with this week? Oh, uh, two. Two? think they win one of the games or they lose both in overtime? <laughs> I'm thinking either one is possible. I mean, and I think you'd almost like two one-point games. Again, the optimist in me says there's the potential out there maybe to get three. But you, you, have, to, you have to kind of look at the fact that right now, coming out of the pandemic, uh, Ice Dogs are still one of the better attended games in the Ontario Hockey League, but there's a little bit of apprehension going on right now, which kind of bleeds through. It, it works both ways. The The players can almost feel sometimes when things are going good, can they continue that way? That's what happens when you're not winning. Sometimes the fan base can sit there too, almost on their hands going, it's going good now, but can it last? So kind of getting that ship moved uh, kind of the right way down the canal would be a neat idea too, just to get fans back on the bandwagon of believing in the team, the players believe in themselves, players believe in the coach. Let's all believe and, and see what happens starting Friday night against Barry. Ted, thanks a lot for doing this. Final words from you here. Plug what, you're, what you've got going on and uh, anything exciting for the upcoming two broadcasts. Well, again, uh, Women's Place is going to be front and center on uh, beginning Friday night, and it's all about ending gender-based violence, and the team does an absolutely incredible job. It helps so many people, and I had it proven last weekend once again that the Ice Dogs are more than hockey. They're uh, a big part of the community. And then, of course, the teddy bear toss and uh, you know what that does for, for youngsters in need and how those donations get used are absolutely incredible. And I can only warn you that potentially there could be a giant stuffed animal on the ice on Saturday. <laughs> there is the potential for a giant stuffed animal to be on the ice. We might see some snow angels uh, on the ice with uh, bears. but uh... There you go. As long as we don't get what we got years ago, the first time I saw a teddy bear game in Sarnia, when some of the more optimistic fans there thought they could throw the stuffies over the mesh at the end of the arena, and they couldn't. They're just stuck there. Yeah, the game ended up being delayed because it looked like stuffed suicides hanging from their neck on the mesh in behind the goals. It was the saddest-looking thing you ever saw. I know they're inanimate objects, but it just was kind of funny seeing Snoopy hanging there that way and giant ladders having to be brought out to get them off there before potentially they fell on the ice. Well, thank you, Ted, for that uh, that wonderful ending to uh, your fill-in appearance as a co-host on the on the Dog Pound podcast. Really appreciate it. Again, 
Ted Lehman, the radio voice of the Niagara Ice Dogs on Giant FM, Country 89, now on the radio for all broadcast on Country 89. I just appreciate the fact that Kyle couldn't act it. <laughs> he couldn't make it today. But that's going to wrap it up for another episode of the Dog Pound Podcast, the official podcast of your Niagara Ice Dogs. Guys, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Dog Pound Podcast, liking us on Facebook and Instagram, and as well, listening to us or viewing us on YouTube or whatever audio platform you're listening to us right now. Again, my name is Brandon Caputo, and until next week, bark, 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 go dogs, go, and we'll talk next week. You're listening to the Armchair GM Sports Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.